Today I'm going to add another message to the series, Identity and Inheritance. And I'm going to minister for just a little bit this morning through a message I'm calling Jesus, the Portrait of the Invisible God. What I want us to see through today's message is that Christian living was never intended to be ruled by our five senses. Do you know, taste and touch and seeing and hearing and smelling. Nor should our lives be ruled by feelings and emotions. God is the one who gave us our feelings. But I have learned from experience, but I've learned also from the experience and the lives of other people that I've come into contact with over the years. Feelings and emotions spend a lot of time in bumper cars, don't they? <laughs> they just seem to want to throw you all around. How many of you have ridden in a bumper car before, you know? When you're heading dead at somebody, all of a sudden, bang, somebody blindsides you, you know? Isn't that the way it is with feelings and emotions? Just when you seem like you're on top of the mountain, all of a sudden, bam! And that's what feelings and emotions have to deal with on a regular basis. I've seen feelings, listen to me carefully now, I've seen feelings and emotions become doubtful in the presence of truth. And conversely, I've seen feelings and emotions become hopeful in the midst of lies. Feelings and emotions, they don't know how to respond sometimes. They don't know what truth is at times. And so they are quick to judge situations. In other words, our feelings and emotions can drive drunk at times. Let's just be honest. Let's just say it the way it is. They get pulled over all the time, right? So what do we rely on if we can't rely on our feelings and our emotions? What is it? I'm going to ask the question. What is it that we rely on if we can't rely on feelings and emotions? What is it that we can put our trust in? Good questions, aren't they? Friends, it's not a what, it's a who. We must listen to the voice of perfect pitch. The Holy Spirit wants us to fine-tune our hearts to a voice of perfect pitch. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit is in perfect pitch? And He wants to release perfect peace into our situation. Not just to babysit and to calm and to soothe our emotions when they're in flare. But to say, I want you to get in the habit of trusting in me, listening to my voice. How many of you know he's always right? The Holy Spirit is always right. I'm talking about the voice of truth. The voice of the Holy Spirit is the voice of truth. The one who always points us to Jesus. That's what he came to do. He points us to Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God. Jesus said these words in John chapter 16 and verse 13. But when he, now who's he talking about when he says he? Holy Spirit, right? Jesus said, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, look at these words, He will guide you. Isn't that better than having your emotions and your feelings guide you? Come on. 
<laughs> I'd rather have the Holy Spirit guiding me than my feelings and emotions because they can be all over the place. Here one moment, there the next, ebbing and flowing, coming and going. But the Holy Spirit's not that way. Oh, he moves, yes. But he moves on the inside of us. Jesus says, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. How many of you love truth? I love truth. I don't care what it's about. Don't tell me a bunch of lies. Don't sugarcoat stuff. Just give me the news. Give me the good news. What's the truth? I love truth. And he said, this Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all the truth. And then he says, he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. That's a powerful scripture, isn't it? Did you notice in that scripture that Jesus said he will not speak on his own? I find that fascinating, don't you? You say, wait a minute now, isn't the Holy Spirit the third member of the Godhead? Yes, yes, he's the third member of the Godhead. Isn't the Holy Spirit God? Yes, he's God. Yes, yes, yes. Jesus said, but he's not going to speak on his own. He's only going to speak what he hears. So if Jesus said these words, he's wanting us to know something, okay? But he only speaks when he speaks in agreement with God the Father. He doesn't say one thing, and the Father says something totally different. That's not the way it is with Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit. They are in total sync. Thought. Word and deed. Based upon that scripture, if the Holy Spirit only speaks what he hears, and he does, then don't you think that as new creations in Christ, that maybe you and I should quit speaking so much on our own and only speak what we hear him say. Does that make sense? Don't you think life would go a little bit easier for you? That's why the scriptures say, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Because when we're quick to listen, we're not just listening to the other person, we're listening for the Holy Spirit. He doesn't mean be quick to listen to the other person. We should take time to listen to the other person. Listen to them. But at the same time, listen for the Holy Spirit. You can hear him. You do hear him. You hear him more than you think you do. He's always talking. He's always whispering. He's always communicating. He's always sharing the goodness of the Father with us. So don't you think maybe we should reel back in some of our own speaking you know, a little bit, and take time. Come on, this is where the strength is found because if we listen to the Holy Spirit and we respond based upon what the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what you're going to find? You're going to walk in more power. Power is going to get released because you're listening. And he's always right. And he guides us into all truth like the scripture said. Doesn't it stand to reason that life would take on more purpose, more passion, 
if we just took time and listened to the sweet voice of the Holy Spirit, and then we spoke what we heard him speak. You've got to wait, okay? It's seed time and harvest. You plant the seed. You don't come back five minutes later and go, man, where's my crop at? No, seed time. Time. Harvest. Sometimes it's years. Don't you stop praying. Don't you give up on your dreams. You keep going because you have sowed that seed in faith. And faith always produces a harvest. It always does. Don't give up. That's why Paul would write, do not grow weary in well-doing, he would say, for in due season, right, you shall reap if you faint not. In other words, you're going to harvest if you don't give up, if you don't faint, if you don't walk away from it. Don't do it. Listen for the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is the one who says, just wait. It's okay to wait. We got to quit getting in a hurry to get things done overnight. It's okay to learn how to rest while you're waiting. While I'm waiting, I can rest knowing I've already heard from the Holy Spirit and he leads me into all truth and righteousness. It's okay. If we would practice listening, practice, come on folks, practice listening to the Holy Spirit, then there would be no confusion, zero confusion, pertaining to our identity. See, this is where the body of Christ is suffering. They don't know who they are. They know they got the fire insurance. I'm not going to hell now, but they don't know anything beyond that. And it brings about emotional trauma and suffering and heartache, despair sometimes, despondency at other times. He wants you to live above that, friends. He wants you to soar with the wings of eagles above the storms. Not a care in the world, knowing everything is provided for you. An eagle doesn't wake up in the morning going, well, what am I going to eat today? He's got a whole lake full of fish. He can have anything he wants, and the Father has provided for him. We work at this way, way, way too hard. So many believers claim that they can't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. They don't hear the voice of God speaking to them. If that's true for you, what is it that's hindering your ability or my ability to hear the Spirit of truth? Is he speaking in some sort of secret code and I just didn't take the class? Is that what it is? Is he speaking in some sort of sacred creed and I'm not smart enough to figure it out? No, friends, he's no respecter of persons, the scriptures say. He's there. He's there to speak like you. That's why we discount it because we think, oh, that's probably just my thought. He's there to speak like you so you understand him. He doesn't speak to me in Spanish because I know about 40 words in Spanish. He speaks to me in English. Do you see? He speaks our language. So we can hear him. He's not speaking in some sort of secret code. He wants us to hear him, and he wants to affirm our identity because he realizes if you understand who you are, if you understand your identity, if you get that simple principle, that simple truth down, friends, I'm telling you, you will quit chasing your tail after all the other things in the Christian church when you understand who you are in Christ. It's called identity. 
What's getting in the way of believers being able to hear the sweet Holy Spirit's voice? What is it that's getting in the way? What are the culprits? What hinders our ability to hear the Spirit of truth? The first one on the list is feelings and emotions. I've already been talking about them. Feelings and emotions. Now, it's important to know that feelings and emotions in themselves are never wrong. Now, you didn't know I was going to say that, did you? You thought I was going to say they're wrong all the time. No, they're never wrong. But the information, the memories, the stories, the half-truths, and the lies that show for our feelings and emotions can often be misleading. Our feelings and emotions are responding to something that's already there. You take a brand new baby and have a gigantic lion walk in the room, baby wouldn't be afraid of the lion because there's nothing there yet. He has no fear of that lion, even though that lion could just eat him with one bite. No fear. Now, if he roars, then it's going to startle the baby a little bit because he's not used to sound. He was in his mother's womb where it was all insulated in the bag of water and behind her belly for nine months. So he's not used to all this noise and that's going to startle him. He's going to, what is this? But in terms of visually looking upon something, he isn't concerned about that at all. So our feelings and emotions access what's already there. Feelings and emotions have a voice. How many of you know that, right? They have a voice, don't they? Have you discovered this truth yet? Have you discovered that? They got a voice, don't they? It's a loud voice at times. And when they are in full bloom, I mean, they have just bloomed like crazy, they can create so much white noise that it makes it extremely difficult to be able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because we are trying to listen above the noise, the rattle, if you will, of our feelings and emotions. And it's hard to hear the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit, the one who speaks what he hears the Father say. He's there to speak to you. He's there to comfort you when you need comfort. He's there to give you wisdom when you need to make a wise decision. He's there. He's there to give you the words when you're ministering to somebody else or praying for somebody else. He's there to help you in your time of need but his voice gets drowned out, sometimes by our feelings and emotions. The next thing that quite often hinders the believer's ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit is our five senses. We have gotten so accustomed to touch and smell, listen, lick and look, come on, you know what I'm talking about, that we often overlook faith. If it were possible for you to take my faith away and say, you have no more faith, it would, we'd just roll this church up, it'd be over with, friends. There'd be no point to come here without faith. Our whole relationship with Christ is built on faith. Faith in His grace, faith in His finished work, faith in all of His promises, faith. May I remind us this morning that faith is the substance of things hoped for but the evidence of things not seen. Did you know that there are people that have never seen the light of day? They were born blind. And there are people that have never heard a single word spoken. They were born deaf, yet they still 
have Jesus living in their heart. They've received Christ. How'd they do that? How'd they put their trust in Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God? How? Because they listened to the inner voice of the Spirit. They've listened to His voice, the voice of truth. The one who doesn't speak on His own, but only speaks what He hears the Father say. Come on. He only speaks what He hears the Father say, and He proclaims over us, if we'll just listen, you're the Father's son. You're the Father's daughter. He assures us that we are His forever. Do you know why there can be denominations that don't believe that? Because they haven't listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. They've listened to the man of God, but they haven't listened to the voice of God. They just go through life like that. Yes, they're a believer. They're stuck, though. They're in a bumper car forever. Their emotions and feelings are just driving them drunk all over the place, and they're bumping into stuff, and they never really seem to get rest. He assures us that we are His forever, and that nothing, come on, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The devils can't do it. Angels can't do it. Your emotions can't do it. Your feelings can't do it. Your five senses can't do it. Your neighbor can't do it. Your worst sin can't do it. Nothing, the scriptures say, in all creation shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God. How can you hear a scripture like that? That's Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. How can you hear scriptures like that and still go, I don't know. I just, I just feel, I feel distant. I feel dirty. No, friends, that's your feelings. That's your emotions. The next one on the list is wrong programming. That's why your feelings and emotions are doing that to you, is you were programmed wrong. That's all. Took me a lot of years to figure that out, right? And I didn't figure it out on my own. I listened to the voice of truth. I listened to the voice of the Spirit. I listen to the voice of the one who only speaks what he hears the Father speak. But it took a lot of years. Why? Too much white noise. Too much religion. Too much going through the motions. Too much working. Not paying attention to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Quiet yourselves. Take time and quiet yourselves. Listen for his voice. Listen. He will speak. Now imagine you've been a Christian for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, whatever it may be, 10 years. And trying to change the way a believer believes is like trying to change a baby while wearing oven mitts. Come on. <laughs> Let me talk to the moms out here for a second. Can you imagine how ridiculous that would be? I mean, we play that little game sometimes at Christmas time. Remember that? We put the oven mitts on, try to open the present. Imagine you trying to change your baby, you know, soil his little diaper, but you got to put your oven mitts on. I mean, it's just going to be clumsy. It's going to be awkward. It, it's just not right. And trying to change somebody's mind when they're already set in their dogma, already set in their ways, is about that difficult. It really is. It's really tough to do. The percentage of people that are willing to forsake wrong programming isn't zero. No, it's not zero, but it's not high either. 
because people prefer to stay stuck. They won't even explore. They just go with the flow. They don't ever look outside of what they've been taught. They don't have that little talk with Jesus. They don't have that little discussion with the Holy Spirit. And all the white noise of their religious belief system just seems to overtake and create this barrier so they can't even see the most simple things of God. Listen, friends, I'm not here to throw anybody under the bus today. I'm just telling you, identity is the most important thing that you'll have going for you when you find out who you are when you find out who Jesus is in you, you are going to go from pitiful to powerful. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be awesome. And I'm not talking in a way that you parade yourself, you show off, you become arrogant. No. I'm talking about the guy that, because he knows who he is, like Jesus, can get down and wash your feet. Jesus' moments before going to the cross he could have stood up and said, let me preach the best sermon I've ever preached. I got a room full of guys here. You know, I'm just going to preach this one last sermon. I'm going to fire you guys up so big and powerful that you're going to go out and win the world. No. He said, I got a better idea. How about you take your sandals off? Let's just wash your feet. Jesus knew who he was. He already proved that he could hear his father's voice. Just like he told the Holy Spirit. He said, I don't do anything. I don't even say anything that I don't first see or hear my father say first. Wrong programming, friends. So it's not impossible for people to go over into a greener pasture, but it's a little more challenging. You see, church doctrine has hardwired us to feel great about standing our ground. We're like a soldier on guard over there at the Buckingham Palace with the big hat on, just standing our ground. That's what I'm going to do. When you come at me with a truth that I've never heard before, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to plant my spear. I'm going to plant my flag. I'm not moving. I'm going to argue till I'm blue in the face. Church doctrine has taught us, it's hardwired us in a sense to just stand our ground and hold on to our core values. God, forgive us for all these core value nonsense stuff of the denomination that has fed us whether we have been taught truth or lies. So not only feelings and emotions get in the way of hearing his voice and our five senses, but wrong programming, but here's another one. The mixture of the New and Old Covenants. It really kind of coalesces with wrong programming because essentially that's what it is. Over the years, I have had sardines. I eat those once in a while, maybe once a year. I don't mind them. I just don't think about them, really. And I've had a bowl of ice cream before, too. But how many of you know sardines in ice cream don't belong together? Is that true? Please raise your hand if you've ever eaten a bowl of ice cream filled with sardines all chopped up in there. What, <laughs> what is good by themselves? Listen to me now. What is good independently? Yes, fine. Yes, mixed together is repulsive. And so it is with the Old and New Covenants. They don't. They don't belong together. 
The old covenant, was it good? Yes. Who was it for? It was for the Jews at the time. But it was made obsolete through Jesus' shed blood on the cross. That is Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13. He made the old covenant obsolete. How? By his shed blood on the cross. New creations were made. Come on. We were made the righteousness of God through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The death without the burial and resurrection, no salvation. The death and the burial with no resurrection, no salvation. It took them all, friends. We were made the righteousness of God through Jesus' shed blood on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection. There is only one covenant that remains. That's why Jesus, when he was serving the communion, as he handed them the wine, he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Uh Uh-oh, left out the old covenant. He didn't say, this is the old and new covenant in my blood. No, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. I'm the last lamb. You don't need to bring your lambs anymore to the temple. I'm the last lamb. I'm the lamb of God. And he said, this is symbolic of the blood I'll shed on the cross tomorrow. And it's the new covenant in my blood. There's one covenant. So it would behoove us to understand what is the old covenant? What was in the old covenant? Understand that that was not meant for you. First of all, it was the Jews' covenant, not the Gentiles. You're a Gentile population here. It was never meant for us in the first place. And if you are Jewish, it was made obsolete. So when you follow the old and new covenants, I'm telling you it's a hindrance. It's a hindrance to what? Hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because he's not speaking old covenant and new covenant. He's speaking the new covenant in Christ's blood. He's speaking the new covenant is what he's doing. (laughs) The last one I want to put up here, and look, this list could just be really extensive. Inaccurate portraits of the invisible God. Every person in this room has an image of God in their mind, don't you? All I'd have to do is just ask you to define God, define Him. Your definition would come from the images that are in your brain, in your heart. The image of God is so marred to some people that they don't want anything to do with Him. The image is marred. How did the image get marred? By the things they were taught by the things they heard, by only listening to man and not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The image of God for others is that of a distant, disconnected, far-removed God. He's off somewhere, but he's not here. No, he's here. He's in you. He's in me. He's in us. Still for others, the image of God is that of a strict, exasperating, and vindictive, if you will, spiritual being. Let's just call him that for a second. Do you know there are people that feel that way? About the God that we just sang our love to? About the God who just sang his love to us, and they see him as vindictive? Wrong programming. Exasperating? No! 
No, he's not unreasonable. He's very reasonable. That's what grace is, friends. It goes beyond unreasonable. It even goes beyond reasonable. That's why we call it grace. It's grace. Friends, are you willing to change the way you believe? That's the question. Can you just concede for the moment? I'm willing to change. There's some things I don't understand. I ask because your identity has its roots in the way you believe. If you allow Holy Spirit to change the way you believe, it will change everything about you. It will change you. Can you take your oven mitts off for a second? Can you see that? Just take them off. Can you hold hands with the Father? Is that too up and close and personal for you? I like holding hands with Daddy. I like climbing up on his lap. I see myself in my mind's eye just climbing up on his lap. I see this all the time. I see my arms around his neck and my face up against his. And I can hear the power out of his nostrils breathing. I can feel the love just soaking up through my very pores. Sometimes I see myself bringing him the most pitiful flowers in the world, all wilted, gnarly looking things, weeds in them and everything else. And I just hear my daddy say, those are so beautiful, son. Thank you, son. Those are just beautiful. And see, father, just take them and put them in a gold vase, fill it with crystal water. Say, wow, son, those are so beautiful. This is the image I have of daddy. I can't say it's the image I've always had, but it's an image by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listening to the finished work resonate in my heart. This is what it's done inside of me. This is what it's done inside of you. Yes. So see yourself holding hands with Papa. See yourself up on his lap. See yourself in conversation. See him holding you and rocking you like a baby. See all that. It's okay. Let go. The first time I raised my hands in church was 1995, and it felt like an elephant was standing on my shoulders. It really did. It was like, oh, this seems so weird. But yet you'd do it for a football game when they score a touchdown. Yes! Yes! No, God is so much more worthy than a touchdown, isn't he? Come on. So much more worthy. Can you let go of your hardwired, nonsensical, bumper car, chauffeur-driven feelings and emotions just for a moment to be able to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of truth? Because the Father is none of the inaccuracies I just gave you. He's none of that. He operates through the Holy Spirit. Breathing across our souls. Ministering to us. Wooing us to Him. Embracing us. Speaking good things over us. This is who He is. This is what He does for us. He is loving. He is patient. And He is kind. Do you know the Scriptures say He keeps no records of wrongs? 
Let me ask you a question. Can you name another person? Come on, be honest with me. Go through the Rolodex in your mind for a second. Can you name another person in this world that keeps no record of wrong? Come on now. We know we've all been wrong, right? And so we've got the record there. God says, I remember your sins no more. Your sins are wrongs. So they're not just in the Rolodex of his mind. He does something that I think is just really a miracle all in itself. He says, I have cast your sins into the depths of the sea. I have separated them as far as the east from the west. He said, I remember your sins no more. I keep no records of wrongs. There's nothing in the heart of God against you. There's nothing in his mind that says, oh yeah, but (laughs) come on now. I remember... You know, on August 14th of 2007, I remember what you did. No, it's gone. It's expunged. It's wiped out. It's removed. It's deleted. It's gone. It's not there. It's not there. See, that's what identity will do for you. When you realize your father has nothing against you, there's nothing there. That gets me excited when I think about that. He is merciful. His mercies are new every day. He is joyful. In other words, he's not a stick in the mud, okay? He's a happy God. He's an exuberant God. He's a joyful God. If you could see him right now, he's happy. He's happy with you. He loves you. If God were to manifest right now, and he just started laughing, There wouldn't be a person in this room that wouldn't crack up, start laughing. You would finally, eventually beg God to stop laughing because his laugh would be so joyful. You ever get around people? They just start laughing, even a baby. They start laughing and you just start cracking up. Well, imagine God who is the author of laughing. Laughing, you would, he's joyful, friends. Like I said, he's not a stick in the mud. He's righteous, he's joyful, he's good, he's holy. Our God is attentive to our cry. Don't you ever forget that. Our cry, our cry, he's attentive to it. He hears it. How many of you mamas could, it's like God gave you supernatural ears when you had the baby, like radar, little little bitty noise. You're like, that's my baby, that's my baby. Then they got all sophisticated with the baby monitors. That's okay. But I'm telling you, in the day before baby monitors, mamas were on high alert. I mean, they could be talking to a friend and be like, oh, hold up. I got to go. My baby's calling me. I'm telling you today that God is attentive to your cry. What troubles you, he has a remedy for it. And he wants you to bring it to him. His hands are not closed. He's not going around with some sort of iron fist. No, his hands are wide open. His hands are outstretched. Like I said before, his arms are not too short to save us. And his ear, the scriptures say, are not too dull to hear us. And the Holy Spirit here is the agent, the one who brings us to Christ. He's the comforter. He's our helper. And his ears are not too dull to hear us. To save us. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He rescues us from despair. 
He rescues us from defeat and destruction. He is a friend, Jesus said this, that sticks closer than a brother. And may I introduce you to Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God. Friends, listen to me. There is no power without agreement. Would you agree with that? You get a husband and wife together, and if they don't agree on something, there's no power there. It's going to fall apart, either in your feelings and emotions or somewhere else. It's going to fall apart. But there is power in agreement. When you agree, there's power that's released. And without agreement, without hearing his voice, we have this tendency to lose our purpose and our identity. If he calls you son, then you call you son, okay? If he calls you daughter, then you call yourself daughter. If he says you're righteous, then don't you go around and say anything less. And that's what he calls you. He calls you righteous. If he calls you holy, then you call yourself holy. Quit thinking about your activity. Quit thinking about your behavior. Your holiness is not based upon your behavior. It's based upon the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. This is God saying, I see you as holy. And if you say something different, there's no agreement there. There's no power there. You see that? And you lose your identity in that moment. If he calls you accepted, then you call yourself accepted. If he calls you beloved, then you call yourself beloved, okay? If he calls you the redeemed, then you call yourself redeemed. If he calls you justified, that means justified, never sin, then you call yourself justified. Please do not allow your five senses to tell you a different story. You listen to the voice of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, the voice of truth. Now, hope is just as much of a gift as our other five senses are. Would you agree with that? Hope is a gift, friends. It's a gift. Love, joy, peace, it's all there. Hope is a gift. Now, I'm extremely, I told Valerie this on the way to church this morning, I'm extremely partial to my eyeballs, okay? If you said to me, Mark, I'll give you a million dollars for one of your eyes. We'll put a nice glass eye in there, a nice prosthetic eye there when we're all done. So we'll just kind of get you in good shape so you don't have an empty socket there. But I'll tell you what, Mark, I'll give you a million dollars for one eye. I'd say, no, thank you. Well, take the weekend and think about it. No, no, thank you. All right, Mark, I'll tell you what, let's, let's build the purse bigger. Let's build it bigger here now. I'll give you unlimited wealth. All the money in the world for both of your eyes. I would say that's dumber than the first offer. No, you can't have my eyes. Would anybody in here give up their eyes for all the money in the world? No. Our eyes are precious to us, right? In the same breath, I thought, hmm, if I had to make a decision between losing an eye or losing my hope, I would say bye-bye eyeball. Because hope is more important to me than my eye. You see, I can hope blind. I can still have hope totally blind. This is how important hope is, friends. We need hope. We need it working in our lives. You see, I don't need physical eyes 
to see Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God. By faith, come on, by faith, his portrait hangs on the walls of my new creation heart. And that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he penned the following words found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, come on, are you in Christ? Come on. He said, look, then he's talking to you, right? He said, if any man be in Christ, he said, he is a new creation. You are something that never existed before. The moment you come to Christ, you are something that never existed before. You are a new creation. And then he said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Old things are passed away. What are the old things? Old covenant, old self, old nature, your old heart. All of that passed away. It doesn't exist anymore. Quit digging in your backyard to find it. It's gone. It's forever gone. You cannot change what he's done on the inside of you. He has transformed you from the inside out, not the outside in. The portrait of you has changed. The way I see you and the way you're going to see you too. The portrait has changed. You are not who you were before you came to Christ. You are a new creation. You are born again. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is who you are. That's your identity. A new creation. A holy nation. A peculiar people. This is who we are. Royalty. Royal priesthood, he says. Chosen generation. In 2001, I married Valerie. It was April 21st. And shortly after our wedding day sometime shortly after that I happened to be going through some photo albums and I happened to find pictures of my first wedding with another lady okay all right <laughs> and you know what I did with those pictures I, I just took them out and I walked them over to the shredder and I just watched them all go down into the shredder I watched them all get shredded I didn't shred these pictures because I was mad but because they were no longer relevant. They're no longer relevant. I'm not who I used to be. I've got a new creation called Valerie Testerman now. I'm not who I was at one time. Why do I want to hold on to it? Shredded this stuff. As new creations in Christ Jesus, the scriptures tell us that we take on God's image and likeness. Is that what the word says? That's all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. That's where it's at. Listen, this is the way the Holy Spirit said it to me. Remember, I'm listening for his voice. He said, son, your past has been shredded. I said, oh, thank God. 
If I told you some things from my past, everybody in this room would get up and walk out of here. And I wouldn't want to hear yours either, to be honest. Thank God we don't have to because our past has been shredded. Why do we want to hold anything against anybody else, especially a believer? Their past is gone. Quit keeping records of wrongs. Our past has been shredded. Our sins have been taken away. We are no longer relevant. We are no longer congruent. However you want to say, we are no longer compatible with our old self, with our old heart, our old nature, and especially the old covenant. Old things, he said there, have passed away. Did he say that? Are you looking at the scripture? He says, old things have passed away. And before the apostle Paul wrote the words, all things are become new, because he wrote that, right? He penned the verb, behold. Let's take a look at it. Behold, all things are become new. The verb behold is used almost 1,300 times in the King James Bible. It is derived from the Greek word edu. Almost like you're standing at the altar and he says, do you take her to be your wife? Adu. Oh, you got that? Adu. Kind of southern, okay. Adu. Adu. It comes from the Greek word adu, which literally translates, look at these words, to be sure to see. Be sure to see. This is what the word behold means. And it's used 1,280 or 90 times. So it's a, it's a word that's often used because God is saying, be sure to see. Be sure to listen also. Be sure to see what? Be sure to see that the old things are passed away. Be sure to see that God has done a new thing in you and that your identity is not rooted in former things. Remember, old things are passed away. Former things are passed away. He has made a way, friends, for you. Jesus, of course, is that way, but he has made a way in your wilderness, and he has brought forth rivers in the desert of your soul. In those dry areas of your soul, they're just gushing with the grace-filled rivers of God's love. You are a new creation in Jesus. You are the portrait of the invisible God. Be sure to see yourself in light of your new identity. Now, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about the former things and the new things when he painted for us the most beautiful portrait of the invisible God, the one who cares for us, when we feel lost like the wilderness, or we feel like our branches a little bit dry like the desert. In Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 through 19, we find these words. Here's what Isaiah said. Come on, man. He said, remember ye not the former things. Doesn't this sound a little bit familiar? Come on. I think the apostle Paul reached back there and said, come on, help me out here. I want to say something. Okay, let's go with that. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. And then he uses that verb again. Behold, be sure to see. Be sure to see. He said, I will do a new thing. I'm getting so happy up here. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Didn't I tell you that? Praise God. Are you going through a dry place? Keep on marching. Keep on walking. Keep on trusting. Keep on listening for the Holy Spirit. 
He's making a way in the wilderness. He's watering you when you're in your dry place. That's who the Holy Spirit is. On that last day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believeth on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, but he's been given now, friends. He's full of gushing water. And he wants to do more than just replenish. He's abundant. He's an oversupplier. He's a more than enough God. More than enough. Come on. God is talking to, and Isaiah is writing about unfaithful Israel as these words are being penned. What? You're going to make a way for the unfaithful Israel? This is the goodness of God. He's letting them know that the portrait of the invisible God is not marred by their behavior. I'm going to still be good to you. Your nonsense doesn't change me. I don't have any bad days. You might, but I don't. I don't have any off-the-cuff moments. I don't have any fly-off-the-handle moments like you do. I'm going to still be good to you. Now, I want you to park a ribbon in your mind for just a moment there. I believe that when the Apostle Paul penned 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I believe that when he penned that, that he had to reach back into Isaiah's prophecy and he just dragged it right over into the new covenant and painted it on a canvas depicting Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God. I believe that's what he did there. The Apostle John would echo the writings of both the prophet Isaiah and the Apostle Paul when he penned what we know as the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. John would keep a very similar motif. Watch what he says here. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Here's what he said. John is in a vision now. He's seeing this. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. See how he's speaking about new now? New creation. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Old things are passed away. Come on. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Next scriptures. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, look at those words. Behold! What's it mean again? Be sure to see. John says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Next scripture. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Look at these words now. I love it. For the former things are passed away. Come on, man. 
It's threaded throughout the whole Bible. The former things that are passed away. Do you see, again, the motif of Isaiah and Paul and John, and now Jesus is going to have the final say in Revelation. Next scriptures. And he that sat upon the throne, come on, that's Jesus, right? Look at the first words out of his mouth. Behold! What does that word mean again? Be sure to see. That's what it means. Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul, when he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation? Jesus is saying, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Jesus is saying this unto John in the vision, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, I love this. It is done. It is finished. That's what it means. It is done, folks. What did he just get through saying? Make sure you look to see. Be sure to see that I've made all things new. And then he says, now it's done. When you see that all things are new, that you are complete in him, then he said, then... Then, I can tell you, then will you receive the words. It is finished. It is done. It is done. Next scriptures. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Friends, listen, I'm not trading away the river in the desert because I don't appreciate it but it's because I have something much greater, and that's Jesus, the fountain of life. Do you see that? He said, I will give unto them that are thirsty, essentially, the fountain of the water of life. And then he says, he that overcometh shall inherit. That's why I'm in this series, Identity and Inheritance. He says, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That speaks of identity. He's my God. He's my father. He's my daddy. He's my papa. He's my everything. But in the same breath, I've got to say, I'm his son. He's made all things new for me. He's allowed me to drink from the fountain of the water of life, which is Christ. And the former things, whatever it was, it's all passed away. Jesus has made it all brand new. Friends, the scriptures tell us that without hope, we are most miserable people. Hope is a powerful thing. It can be a fire extinguisher when you need it, and it can serve as a life jacket when you need it for that. Hope is a shelter from troubled wind. Hope serves us our bread when we're hungry and brings drink to us when we're thirsty. I'm talking about the things of the soul now, friends. The scriptures tell us that hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Hope comes from knowing that we're loved by the Father. I don't know of anything that brings about hope more, that stirs up hope more, than to know that I am unconditionally loved by my daddy. There's nothing I can do to shut off his fountain of water of life. There's nothing. It's always gushing. It's always cascading over my soul. 
You show me a man or a woman without hope, and I'll show you the same man or woman who does not really know the love of the Father. They don't realize how loved they are by the Father. They have tasted his love, yes, but they just have not basked in his love, just floated in his love and just knows, I can't do anything to shut off this fountain of water of life. It's beautiful. What did we do? Come on, ask the question. What did we do to deserve such love? (laughs) We simply permitted Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God, to make us one with him. How did he make us one with him? Well, because we were crucified with him. That's Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, crucified with Christ. We were buried with him in baptism. That's Romans chapter 6. And we were raised with him in resurrection, not only life, but resurrection power. Not muscular power, but power of identity, knowing who you are in Christ. Listen, if you're not confident about who you are in Christ, how are you going to tell somebody else and come across as confident? See, that's what we do. We paint portraits of a God that we're not even confident in. I don't, I don't know. I just, this is all I know. You know. Don't be confident in Him. But it starts by understanding who you are in Him. We were raised with Him in resurrection power and life. When did God demonstrate this kind of love? That's the question. How far back do we have to go? When did God demonstrate this much love for us? When did Papa garnish us with such love? When was that? Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Oh, I love this scripture. But God demonstrates. Come on. He proved it, friends. He unleashed it. He unrolled it. He rolled out the red carpet full of blood, blood blood-stained carpet that Jesus had to walk down. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Come on. Christ died for us. That's when he demonstrated his love. Not when you got all dolled up. Not when you went through a spray can full of Aquanet. I'm sorry, I had a flashback. My mama used to use that stinky stuff. (laughs) Come on, ladies. You've been around a while. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, he didn't wait till we were cleaned up, friends. He did it while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, he rolled out his love for us. Isn't that beautiful? This is the love of God. If that doesn't help you in your identity, I don't know what's going to. Why would he turn his back now? Your back was all against him at one time. He wouldn't do that. Our hope has been established by grace through faith, regardless of the mixed signals our five senses can sometimes send us. I'm talking about faith in the resurrected Christ. By faith, we believe that Jesus is the portrait of the invisible God. We may not be able to see Jesus with our naked eyes, but we see the effects of Jesus. We see him in people. We see him in nature. We see him in all creation. God has hung the portrait of his son on the walls of every heart that hath believed in him. 
Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Did he say that? He said that. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, my identity comes from my Father. I didn't get this on my own. I speak nothing on my own. I speak only what I hear my Father say. The Father and I are one. It's somewhat of a mystery, but believers have the same identity as Christ. You say, wait a minute, well, wait a minute now. Why is that? How's that? Because the greatest mystery of the new covenant is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are one with Jesus, and we are one with the Father. Therefore, it does us good to speak what we hear our Father saying. Friends, this is where the agreement comes from. This is where the power is at. This is where identity's at. And when our true identity becomes synchronized with the reality that we were made in the image and likeness of God, then the metastasized images of unworthy and unacceptable will oxidize faster than a sliced apple. That's just a picture the Holy Spirit put in my mind. When you come into agreement with that truth, nothing can keep you down. You understand your identity. Friends, our identity is rooted in the faith of Jesus' finished work. Even the disciples had mixed feelings and emotions. Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God, was standing right in front of Thomas, right in front of Philip. And yet Philip and Thomas said, show us the Father. We want to see your daddy. Show us the Father. And they said, and then we'll be satisfied. That'll be enough for us. Jesus said unto them, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was Jesus' words. Jesus knew that his identity came from his Father. He knew the essence. He knew the importance of identity. And he discovered that identity at a very young age. The scriptures tell us that Jesus grew in wisdom, and he grew in stature, and he grew in favor with God and men, but we don't find the scriptures that tell us that Jesus grew in identity. He discovered identity, but he didn't grow in identity. Identity is a revealing, not a feeling, okay? It's a revealing, it's an unmasking, it's an unveiling, if you will. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 49. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. They lost Jesus. Do you see that? Next scriptures. <laughs> Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. God help us that uh, our family and friends can't find Jesus in us. 
This is what I mean. When your identity blossoms, when it comes into fruition, I'm telling you, your friends and your family are going to see Jesus in you. They're going to see him in you. After three days, that's the same amount of time that Jesus was in the ground. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, (laughs) why have you treated us like this? I think it was the parents' fault not making sure the child was with them. I mean, if I'm going to travel somewhere, I'm not going to bawl my kids out for not being in the back seat when I get there. It's my fault, right? (laughs) But Mary says to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Look at what Jesus says. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Wow. Twelve-year-old Jesus knows who he is. His identity has been revealed. He has discovered his identity, and yet, He waits another 18 years to begin his ministry. Why did he wait so long? Think about it. He didn't start his public ministry until he was 30. 12 from 30 is 18 years Jesus was waiting because he was growing in wisdom and stature and in grace. He was waiting for the voice of the Father to say, Son, it's time. It's time. Let's do this, Son. Got a journey ahead of us. It's not going to always be pleasant. You're going to be ridiculed. They're going to try to make you king, an earthly king. We've got a journey, a road ahead of us, son. But I'm telling you, this is who you are. You are my son. I am empowering you with that much identity. As ministers of the gospel, of the finished work, our mission is to convince people that Jesus is better than Moses, okay? Vanilla and chocolate ice cream may be better when they're twisted together, but Jesus and Moses are not. Love is better than life. Grace is better than law. Relationship is better than rules. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And the new covenant rendered the old covenant obsolete. But what do you say to influence people to believe that the new covenant is better than the old covenant? What do you say, Mark? How do you convince people, how do you convince even believers to replace the old covenant portraits with Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God? Well, it's not an easy task. It's like convincing a baby that a gold bar is better than a pacifier. It's true, but not for the baby. Because the gold bar doesn't satisfy or comfort like the pacifier. 
Jesus came, friends, to rescue us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Rescue us from what? Rescue us from our sins. He died to rescue us not only just from our sins, but He died to rescue us from all darkness. Jesus came to rescue us from all the dark places that we can find ourselves in. One of those dark places is a poor image of yourself. An image that is not compatible with the way God sees you. Final scriptures. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 20. Look at these words. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now look at the next words. The Son. Who's the Son? That's Jesus. The Son is the image, or another way to say it, the Son is the portrait of the invisible God. And that is where the inspiration for this message came from, when I was meditating on that particular scripture. He said the Son is the portrait. He's the likeness. He's the image. He's the only picture you need of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him, all things, good things, new things, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, including your feelings and emotions, friends, including your wrong programming. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What do we discover as our identity through these verses? We discover that we've been rescued. We discovered that we've been delivered out of the dominion, the grip, if you will, of darkness and translated into another kingdom. What is this kingdom? It's the kingdom of the son he loves. We discover sonship. We discover reconciliation and redemption. And because of Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God, the Father is at absolute peace with humanity, the crowning jewel of all of his creation. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Feelings and emotions are God-given gifts to humanity. We would never know the joy of the highest mountain had we not first walked through the sorrow of the lowest valley. Feelings and emotions in themselves are never wrong. We never mistakenly laugh when we meant to cry. That's what I mean. 
However, our feelings and emotions often overreact to information and stories and memories and lies that are misleading. Feelings and emotions have a way of speaking on their own. But what did Jesus say about the coming Holy Spirit? He said he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears the Father say. Friends, it would do the body good and it would do the soul good for us to just learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit, the voice of truth. The Holy Spirit loves to adorn. He loves to decorate. He robes us in righteousness and cloaks us in truth. He leads us into green pastures. He makes a way in the wilderness and brings forth rivers in the desert. And if we will allow him, he'll hang Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God, on the walls of our heart. The scriptures tell us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are are become new. Remember that verb, behold, means be sure to see that all things have become new. Be sure to see what, you ask? (laughs) Be sure to see that as a new creation in Christ Jesus, you possess a new identity. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Old things are passed away. You are not governed by your feelings and emotions. You are not governed by your five senses. You are not governed by wrong programming. You are not governed by the mixture of the old and new covenants. And you are not governed by the inaccurate portraits of the invisible God. Friends, Jesus said, Behold, I make things new. And then he said, It is done. Come on. It is finished. You and I, friends, are a finished work. We are complete in Christ. We lack no good thing. We have the fullness of Christ dwelling on the inside of us, and out of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. We have been rescued. Come on. We have been delivered from the dominion of darkness, and we have been translated into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It is in Christ that we drink freely from the fountain of the water of life. In Christ, we overcome the world and we inherit all things. Hear the words of Jesus. He will be your God and you shall be called his sons. Sonship is our identity. Righteousness is our identity. Holiness is our identity. Wisdom is our identity. Justification and redemption are our identity. Acceptance in the beloved is our identity, friends. As it was with 12-year-old Jesus, it's time to discover our identity. There's no need to keep searching for Jesus among our family and friends. We've already found him. He's in the Father's house, 
and you are that house. The temple where Jesus, the portrait of the invisible God, hangs forever. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your love for us, your word for us. We thank you, Father, that we can and we do hear the voice of truth, the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's always right. He's always in perfect pitch. And so, Father, thank you as we train ourselves in a sense, as we take time to just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. All the white noise, all the clutter gets out of the way because we understand who we are in Christ. And as that identity emerges up and out of our heart, and we understand who we are, we can kneel and wash another man's feet. We know who we are. We can hold hands with Papa. We can crawl up on your lap, Daddy, and just know that we are loved. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.